You are listening to Shaping a Better Maritime World podcast by Bureau Veritas. Each month, we discuss marine and offshore market trends with key stakeholders to help you navigate the energy transition and shape a better maritime world for the future generation. We're here at Floating Wind Solutions. This is the second year of this show, and it, it really is fantastic. I mean, the turnout is outstanding. I think they have more than 600 delegates. I'm sitting in a ballroom, just absolutely beautiful with, you know, booths set up and people talking to people. It, it really is fantastic. Again, this is a special treat because on the show today, we have Dan Holmes from Bureau Veritas. Dan? Thank you, Jim. Yeah, it's fantastic to see everybody here engaging in conversation and seeing the amount of energy that's now being put into floating wind solutions. And this is going to be a great show, and we've got some great people here with me today to talk further. Yeah, this is the exciting part, right? You're going to do a little panel discussion on offshore floating wind power, right? That's right. Yes, we have participants from technology and developers and also Bureau Veritas itself. All right, Dan. Well, I'm going to hand the mic over to you and let you get on with it. Thanks, Jim. Okay, with me here today, I have Jonathan Boutreau, who is a Global Wind and Marine Renewable Energies Market Leader for Bureau Veritas. Jonathan, can you give us a quick introduction on yourself? Yeah, hi, Dan. Very excited to be at Floating Wind Solutions today. So I am responsible for the business development of floating wind projects at Bureau Veritas and also project manager of floating wind projects that are currently being certified by BV. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. And next, I have Marco Videk, Vice President of Business Development for Principal Power. Great having you with us, Marco. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, it's great to be here, finally, in person. Last year, I participated online, and you miss a lot of the dynamics. And yeah, it's a great turnout, and it's good to meet people in person and have discussions and have the panel discussion. I think we had a great panel discussion yesterday by the developers, really setting the scene for what's coming in floating offshore wind. So, yeah great to have these discussions. Thank you. Great to have you with us, Marco. And finally, but last but not least, David Carascosa, Operations Director for SciTech Offshore Technologies. David, can you give us a little intro into yourself? Yeah, thank you. Hi. So I've been in floating wind for eight years now. So from the very beginning, I would say, on say, the industry and, and the, the market shaping itself. And I'm very, very happy to see how things are evolving. Finally, pure floating offshore wind conferences in the US. So it looks like we're moving forward, right? So um, very happy to be here. And yeah, let's say I wouldn't speak too much about myself because I think it's more <laughs> interesting what's coming next. Exactly. So on, on that question then, how is the offshore industry developed and how is it developing as we move forward? Jonathan, maybe you could start us off. Yeah, sure. So floating offshore wind is relatively new compared to bottom fixed. The first prototypes were installed a few years ago. A handful of pilot projects, floating wind projects, are currently being developed and constructed. To give some order of magnitudes, we have now roughly 50 gigawatts of fixed offshore wind that are in operations worldwide. In comparison, the operational floating wind total capacity represents only 100 megawatts. So even though the floating projects represent a small percentage of total offshore wind, its growth is exponential and the pipeline of projects is huge, with about 30 gigawatts of projects to be installed by 2030. Marco, have you got any thoughts on that one? Yeah, well, of course, Principal Power is very proud to have almost 75% of the number that Jonathan just uh, mentioned of the 100 megawatt uh, operating with the two floating offshore projects that we have operating in Portugal and in Scotland, the Kincardine project. And yeah, we're working the next one in the Mediterranean in, in France. So what we see as a great 
the biggest challenge for us is to move from these pre-commercial contracts to yeah, the large commercial scale projects. And that's what we are focusing at in the company. How can we industrialize the wind flow? So on that, so what are the main technical challenges for floating offshore wind? David, maybe you could start us off. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And let's say that we can provide some insights. Obviously, we feel like Principal Power has been leading the way. And we obviously look at what has been achieved by your company, Marco, and it's impressive. We are now starting to realize which are the challenges for this market. Not because, I mean, we've been involved in, in testing and, let's say, analyzing the technologies and so on for a long time. But now that we are currently manufacturing a prototype, it's when we realize really what's happening and what's the real challenges related to procurement, insurance, bankability, and then obviously the installations, all the topics related with a real project and a project that's ongoing. Marco, what about as we go forward and we learn, what about things like moorings, cable connections, and all of that kind of stuff? Are there sort of significant technological challenges around those things? I think if you look at the wind float, it's based on a lot of principles and technology that is piggyback from the oil and gas industry. I mean, our semi-submersible platform, that concept is, of course, from oil and gas. The anchoring systems is also very familiar in oil and gas. And it's great to see now that a lot of companies in the supply chain starts looking at it, being aware of that we need to bring the cost down to go along this LCOE curve, just as what happened in bottom fix, that we go along the same curve in floating wind. And it's very exciting to see that yeah, a lot of companies in the supply chain are also stepping up to offer efficiency, more efficient solutions. And we are closely monitoring that and see how we can incorporate that in our designs. And furthermore, for the next generation of wind float, we are very focused now on how is the manufacturing process working? How can we make that more efficient? How can we make it more less complex to fabricate and how can we compress the schedule of fabrications on the arts so that's where our challenge is i mean yeah we see ourselves of course okay the wind flow technology has proven so we don't see the need for demonstrator projects other than maybe in some green areas in the world where you need demonstrator projects to really get the kick off the industry locally but from a technology point of view we feel okay we have proven it and now we want to have the next challenge in the industrialization and being involved in 500 megawatt or one gigawatt project and be part of the technology of those kind of projects so that's a great perspective marco jonathan from the perspective of classification and certification what are the are there any great technical challenges moving forward for floating wind from that side of things yeah so first of all i fully agree with what was said before the technology is globally de-risked. However, there are still a lot of innovations linked to floating wind projects. So let me give you a few examples. The floating foundations themselves. There are about 50 types of floater concepts on the market with different maturity levels and based on various types of floating solutions, SPAR, TLP, semi-submersible, or hybrid concepts. Each type of concept being more suitable for a specific environment or project. Moreover, as the wind turbine capacity grows, scaling up the flutters supporting these turbines needs special consideration. Current offshore wind projects are based on minimum 12 megawatt wind turbines, comparable in size to the Eiffel Tower, and which power is equivalent to the thrust of four Boeing 747 reactors. Another challenge is the high-voltage dynamic cable. So the pilot projects have a limited capacity, let's say below 50 megawatts, so they can use existing and proven technology, typically 66 kV cables. But when the flooding wind projects will reach commercial stage with very high capacities of more than 250 megawatts, then cables with much higher voltage will be required. And this technology still needs to be tested and qualified 
because it has never been used in dynamic conditions, subject to waves and currents. Our last example of innovation lies in the materials that are used for the development of such projects. For instance, there are ongoing projects where synthetic mooring lines, made of nylon or polyester, will be used. If these materials have already been used by the oil and gas industry, it was in different contexts, different types of application. Oil and gas units are usually operating in ultra-deep waters, whereas for flooding wind projects, the water depth is much shallow. We're talking about 100 meters. So the failure modes might be different, and we have to consider these points to make sure the technology remains safe. I would also mention the floating offshore substations. Even though the first commercial floating wind projects will be exporting power via bottom-fixed offshore substations, there are concepts of floating or even subsea substations being developed. The commercial projects will also have an increased requirement for profitability as compared to pilot farms being developed. This will have an impact on the technology as well. As an example, the topic of mutualized mooring systems is currently being discussed by the industry. So besides technology, what do you think are the sort of the further challenges of developing offshore wind, offshore floating wind specifically? To bring the cost down, I think, <laughs> I think everybody realizes what is needed for that, and that's economies of scale. So we need to see these bigger projects. So the market needs visibility and pipeline of these projects, because that is what we really need to bring the costs down. We're still pretty high up in the LCOE curve which is to be expected. But yeah, you see the steps that we need to go through. There are a number of steps that helps. Of course, the bankability, if it's proven technology, it will bring the risk profile lower. So financing of the project becomes cheaper. So that can help bringing the cost down. Of course, like I mentioned earlier, we are doing our things in part of our technology and making improvements to make it more cost-effective to fabricate, compressing the fabrication schedule. So that's what we can do as a technology developer to help bringing the cost down. But it's also, it's not so much a technology provider problem, but it's an industry problem and we need to do that together to bring it down. And the main thing that I would like to see is visibility and pipeline of projects. And I think what we've seen with Scotland, those these big announcements, that is a signal to the market like, okay, this is floating offshore wind, it's no longer an R&D space or just a niche market. This is a great signal to the market, like, okay, it's there. And this is also a signal not only in the UK or in Scotland or in Europe, but it's a signal to the global market. And I'm happy to see that because it starts more discussion. People start to see it's, it's feasible. So that's where we are now. So, yeah, we're bridging the gap to the real large-scale projects. That's yeah. And certainly from the green perspective, of course, we see challenges for offshore fixed wind in terms of the Jones Act, you know, and things like that and developing WTIVs and SOVs for the US market. And a lot of those vessels there are seeing distinct challenges in the global supply chain and not just for the larger vessels, also the smaller ones too. And, you know, for the CTVs, you know, David, do you see supply chain as a big challenge moving forward? developing these projects? That's it. I was about to, to mention that I had like a few points in mind to adapt to Marcus' speech and yeah, supply chain is one of them and if we look at the, yeah, the West Coast, for example, we don't have big oil and gas assets, we don't have shipyards, so we are now looking and it's very much discussed the lack of infrastructure which is needed to I mean, move forward with the construction of gigawatts and gigawatts of floating or so wind. But if we look at the vessels, I can only imagine see like a great number of vessels going through the Panama Channel from the Gulf of Mexico to, yeah, let's say, support the activities in California. 
I mean, we will find solutions. We are speaking here about challenges. We see also opportunities and opportunities for some or the, let's say, actors or players in the supply chain which were not really related to oil and gas. And in our case, we developed a technology based on concrete. And that means that the whole civil construction industry can benefit from these kind of, of projects, generating great amount of local content. And if we look again at places like California, where there's not a strong naval industry, a strong shipyard infrastructure, then involving the civil infrastructure, all the civil infrastructure, great companies, it's also an opportunity to generate that local content. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so with all of these challenges, is the commercial introduction of floating wind turbines a close reality? I would say it's not only, let's say, the technical, I mean, we discussed about the technical topics, but we need to have a framework. And that framework is not really related to the supply chain only, it's also on the hands of the, the policymakers. And if there is mandates towards the development of floating wind, if there's, I mean, tariffs and, let's say, funding regimes for floating wind, then it will happen. But we also need everything to go together. And probably from PPI and, and speaking about California, you can provide a, a much more detailed speech about what's happening there. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting fact that you mentioned. I mean, we see now that auctions will take place in later this year, and it has taken a long time to get there, to get the federal governments ready to announce leases and lease rounds. And this has been taking a very long time, and this is what is needed for commercial projects to be realized. I mean, developers need permits, they need sites, right, to develop sites. If that doesn't happen, if that's not formalized, companies will not invest money in projects, will not do any studies because they don't know where the project will happen. And so that's what we see now, of course, in, on the West Coast. We get to see the first actions, so the developers are stepping in. I think last week we've seen some announcements, a lot of things are happening. Again, Scotland shows the big projects that will be implemented, so this is another signal of the commercial projects coming nearer and nearer. And of course, offshore floating wind is not necessarily a particularly new technology in Europe. Is there any learnings that could be captured and moved across the Atlantic to the United States to sort of help that process forward and push the industry? Yeah, of course. I mean, all the lessons are learned that we have picked up from the projects that we have executed, especially these things that for SciTech as well, if you do your first uh, demonstrator, that's when you really get learnings. I mean, as long as things are on paper, you don't get the learnings. You only get them when you really realize projects. And I think it was mentioned yesterday as well from these projects actually doing them also with different technologies. That's where the industry learns. And of course, Principal Power has gone through those lessons with the two projects that we did. These lessons learned we take into our design, adapting our design, as I explained, but also the lessons learned from executing the projects. We are so much faster now in the prelay of moorings, in the hookup of the platforms. So these are lessons learned that we can all take to the next projects because these can easily be copied and pasted to projects globally. And so, yeah, also lessons learned from our studies. We get now a lot of feedback from the operations from our wind float. So we can compare that with our numerical modeling and see how they match up. And that gives us a lot of knowledge that we can even use to maybe challenge BV in like, hey, your, uh, <laughs> <laughs> your numbers, your safety numbers, we think it's a little bit too high. And here is why we think it's high. And that is also, again, a step in, okay, in pushing the industry in maybe, yeah, even you, maybe you save a couple of tons of steel because all these lessons learned that we pick up now. So yeah. I yeah. think that's... 
Yeah. So, Jonathan, what, yeah. have you, <laughs> the challenge has <laughs> been ready. Come on. <laughs> no, indeed. And the feedback from this product is very important also for us because thanks to this feedback, operational feedback, we can adjust our requirements that you will find in the technical standards that are published by BV. Yeah, and, and I would only add that there's that lessons learned from us, from the designers, but also from the whole industry. So we don't need now to start from scratch with the insurers or with the banks or, I mean, these companies are global and have presence in the US as well and in Asia Pacific. So that's also, let's say, a path we started to step into quite a few years ago. So yeah, let's say. So what I'm picking up on here is the fact that as an industry, I'm picking up that we've all got to work together to go beyond the prototype and the initial project and make it a commercial reality. But I think we're all agreed and we all need to do that and work together. But there's also a huge amount around permitting and government and state and country, whether it's federal or whatever. What do the governments at national and state level need to do as well to maybe support the industry? So we are now let's say, involved in two projects under development on the, the area of the 50 megawatt each. So we could name it like pre-commercial or pilot. And we are doing those projects and we are developing those projects in California and Spain. It could be like, what's the relationship between those two places? Well, it's new markets. Both are completely new markets, but not only to floating offshore wind, to offshore wind itself. And you realize also the need to engage much more with the stakeholders. I mean, when I've, I get a taxi in Scotland, I can speak about floating offshore wind with the taxi driver, but I cannot do that in Spain or in California, right? Well, maybe in California you can start. I think definitely people, I think definitely people are interested in it. I think there's a lot of questions, though, about they see and they understand that this is something that's wanting to go ahead, but they just want to see it there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we're now picking up momentum is awareness of the energy tr- transition that we need it. So that's helping. Of course, what we need from governments is indeed that they give permits out and assign sites where offshore wind farms can be developed. But to be able to do that, they need to understand, okay, what are impacts? What is the impact on the environmental aspects, fisheries? So there's a lot of stakeholders in these developing wind farms. So governments need to understand what floating offshore wind is. And we have been doing that, especially in the beginning of Principal Power, we've been doing that a lot to be able to realize our first demonstrator project because there were no clients or developers interested in developing floating wind because it was not there. So we needed to do a lot of explaining. And I think we are getting there now that the industry is able to educate, to inform the authorities in what it means. And I think that's already a big step to help them making that kind of decisions and not maybe postponing decisions maybe because they do not fully understand and maybe can't get internal approvals done. So I think the industry, there's a role there that we inform authorities, governments and what it is and what the impact could be and the pros and the cons and for local content, employment, people that are leaving the oil and gas industry can go to renewables. So there's a lot of positive things, of course, about this new industry. But yeah. And Mark, you mentioned a key word there, I think, yeah, that's important to a lot of people, which is local content, you know, and taking that word and moving it to the challenges that we identified earlier around infrastructure i mean you know i'm guessing also that permits need to be issued for you know fabrication yards for heavy transportation logistics materials handling all of that kind of stuff it's not just the permitting for the offshore facility it's onshore as well because there's you know we're not talking about one or two units here we're talking about many hundreds correct 
Yep. In the commercial projects, yes. The numbers will maybe come down a little bit with the turbines growing. That's it. But still, it will be a large number. So, yeah, indeed. But it starts with proper understanding. And we as developers, of course, fully understand what it means to do that offshore. But, yeah, like you say, onshore, there are also aspects that for which it requires permitting and maybe install substations onshore. So that's true. It's not so much our area that we're involved in. But, yeah, we are very much prepared to assist authorities to help them in the decision-making by giving the information that we need about floating offshore wind. Yeah, yeah and also on the local content side of, of it, again, yeah, we, with our concrete solution, may have a certain advantage in several or in certain markets. But at the same time, local content is, let's say, a hot topic in the industry. But for local content, you need infrastructure where you can develop that local content. Okay, it's, and that's not given, right? It's something that needs planning, needs investment, needs obviously the support from the policies and regulations. So, yeah, we are seeing also quite a few requirements in auctions and or at least, if not direct, indirect requirements for, for local content in, in some of the European auctions and so on. But then you try to realize how the local content will perform when you mix floating wind with big fixed bottom with all the uses of ports and it's challenging so it will probably in the first steps of the industry combination let's say of hybrid combination of local content plus yeah say bring in knowledge from other sites yeah, I guess when you're talking about local content, you're talking about training, you need inspectors, you need people who are yep. skilled and qualified. Welders and weld inspectors, all of these things are part of the infrastructure that support a project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what's the role of classification and certification in supporting floating offshore wind? Jonathan. So Bureau Veritas is a large company involved in testing, inspection and certification. We have developed over the past years a wide range of services that are aiming at de-risking the projects or supporting the project developers and designers during all the project life cycle. And our service offering is continuously evolving, such as to bring solutions to the new challenges encountered by our clients, notably the challenges that we've discussed before. Independent verification services, which is a certification or classification of floating wind turbines, is our core activity. But it's not the only one. We can provide marine warranty survey services, focusing on the transportation and installation phases. We can also help the designers and operators during the development of their projects. For this purpose, we have high competencies in terms of owner representation or owner engineering. Besides these core services aiming at ensuring the integrity of the assets, BV has developed, under the so-called BV Green Line, a panel of services supporting our clients in their energetic transition. I can mention, for instance, the carbon footprint evaluation of floating wind turbines, focusing on the CO2 emissions induced by these projects from design to decommissioning. So how are the floating wind projects kind of regulated or kind of overseen? So the main objective of defining a regulatory framework is to make sure that appropriate technical and environmental standards are correctly implemented in the design. As of today, the regulatory framework imposed by the local authorities for flooding wind projects remains unclear and is not homogeneous over the different countries. Most of the time, the independent verification services are imposed or strongly recommended by insurance companies or investors. So if you're saying that the regulatory framework is very flexible, but the technical standards are there, is that correct? Yeah, indeed. Currently, the traditional wind actors are familiar with the certification context as per the guidelines published by the International Electrotechnical Commission, the IEC. 
which was firstly deployed on onshore wind projects and then on offshore bottom fixed wind projects. So focusing on the turbine and the tower. For a flooding foundation and its mooring system, the technical standards of reference will mainly come from the rules and guidelines issued by the classification societies. These rules are traducing the experience and know-how related to flooding units operating in an offshore environment that classification companies like Bureau Veritas have built on for years. For this reason, we truly believe that the flooding wind industry could benefit from applying a classification scheme. This is indeed a trend that we observe, also initiated by newcomers like the international oil companies like Total Energies, Shell, Chevron or BP, which are used to classifying their oil and gas floating assets and see the benefits. At Bureau Veritas, we have anticipated this potential evolution by developing guidelines, notably the NY572, addressing both the classification and the certification of flooding wind turbines. And our R&D teams have also built Opera, a fully integrated modeling solution for verifying offshore wind turbine design. Our clients can use Opera to account for all aspects of their wind farm, from mooring to blades. Designed in partnership with our clients, Opera is fully equipped to cover all of their eventual needs and ensuring their designs are their risks. Their risks. So, okay, so Bureau of Veritas, you know, they have a classification, a certification scheme for the project construction and development. But what does it look like moving forward in operation? Yeah, so the operational phase of flooding wind farms is not for tomorrow, but at Bureau Veritas, we have started thinking about how to develop an efficient and cost-effective integrity management strategy for flooding wind farms. We are notably participating in joint industrial projects, JPs, on these topics. To summarize, integrity management strategy will be based on risk-based inspection techniques combined with digital solutions and making use of remote inspection techniques like drones or cameras. Fantastic. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, we're getting to the end of our time here, but I just, we've gone through over the last sort of like 20, 30 minutes, the full project lifecycle with some fantastic insights from Marco and David and Jonathan. I'd just like to close out Marco and David from your side. You know, what's your vision for the future of offshore floating wind and what do you see moving forward? We're only just beginning. No, I think, like I said earlier, I think the Scotwind lease rounds have really put floating offshore wind on the map, I think, on a big scale. And for sure, this is what the industry will take benefit from. And yeah, as I said, the industrialization, that's what we need to tackle. And that's not something that someone can do or a company on its own. That's what we need to do as an industry, the developers, the designers, the supply chain. We need to act together. And as I said, for that to work, we need visibility and pipeline of projects. So that's what we're hoping for. And yeah, the signals are there that that's happening. And David? Yeah, I think that we've seen worldwide that the people start to understand that floating wind is the way offshore wind is getting truly global. Because we had like the big spots in, yeah, let's say, North Sea, the Yellow Sea in China, East Coast in the States. But those were for fixed bottom now moving from fixed bottom to floating means yeah get into a market with almost no limits and i think both the investors the banks the insurers our <laughs> let's say our side of the business as well the designers and the whole industry is, is seeing in, in floating wind a very interesting opportunity to yeah greening the world right and providing some great input towards the decarbonization and the net zero economy where i mean for
Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a fantastic conversation with some great insights. Very encouraging. Thanks to David from SciTech, Marco from Principal Power, and Jonathan Boutreau from Bureau Veritas. All right, Dan. That was very interesting, especially for a guy like me who doesn't know anything about offshore floating wind solutions. I found this very informative. So thank you very much for moderating, and I think you have a career in podcasting ahead of you, man. That was that was <laughs> fantastic. You, I appreciate it. It's fantastic to see the industry moving forward and looking forward to seeing projects reach full commercialization excellent well thanks again for being on the show thanks to everybody on the panel whether we're meeting the challenges of decommissioning offshore oil and gas assets in a safe and sustainable manner helping ship owners embrace decarbonization and digitalization to transport goods safely and sustainably or supporting marine renewable energy technologies bureau veritas marine and offshore is shaping a better maritime world Thank you for listening to the Shaping a Better Maritime World podcast by Bureau Veritas.